In today's episode, we are studying Genesis chapter 30, verse 25 to 31, verse 55. And it's here that we read the account of the increase in Jacob's flocks and his flight from Laban's house. So join me as we continue our walk through the Old Testament. In today's passage, we see how God blesses Jacob with success in breeding his flock, which ultimately leads to his flight from Laban's house. In the first half of today's story, we see how God increases Jacob's wealth. First, Jacob negotiates his wages, and then he breeds the flocks to his advantage. In the second half of today's story, we see how God calls Jacob back to the promised land. Well, first, let's again start by seeing how Jacob negotiates his wages, beginning in chapter 30, verse 25. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came and has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and a spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later. When you come to look into my wages with you, Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. This is a rather bizarre story that tells of how Jacob acquired his wealth. And he will later acknowledge that it was God who really prospered him. So at the end of the 14 years of labor, Jacob sought Laban's permission to return to Canaan with his wives and children. Now, Laban still had authority over his daughter's departure from his household, and so Laban entreats Jacob to stay on with him, claiming to have learned by divination that his prosperity was the result of God's blessing for him for Jacob's sake. Laban affirmed that the gods had confirmed Jacob's role in his increasing wealth. And showing generosity, Laban invites Jacob to set his own wages. But nevertheless, the following negotiations indicate that Laban sought to keep Jacob on more as a hired servant, not as a son-in-law. Jacob tried to make Laban accept what he would propose by stressing how hard he had worked for him and how greatly his master's flocks had increased under his shepherding. 
Jacob also pointed out that the increase of Laban's flocks was a result of God's blessing on what Jacob had been doing. And so he asked what he could do to provide for his own household. Now, taking this question as Jacob's way of asking as a gift, Laban wanted to know what he could give him. But Jacob replied that he was not asking for a gift. He would continue on as a shepherd if he could do one thing, that is, to build his own flock. Jacob proposed that he be permitted to go through all the flocks that day and remove every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-colored lamb, and every spotted or speckled goat for his own wages. Presumably, he wanted these members of the flock for breeding more multicolored kids and dark lambs that would then become members of his own flock. And Jacob reassured Laban that he could be trusted. Any goat in his flock that was not variegated in color, and any lamb that was not dark, Laban could consider to be stolen from his own flocks. And that meant that Laban could easily get compensation. Now, these conditions seemed to greatly favor Laban, and so that is why Laban agreed. The Bible states that one of them proceeded to separate out of the flock the multicolored animals, although it is not clear which one who did this. However, it is Laban who removed the modeled animals, and he gives them to his sons so that Jacob had no chance of using any of them in breeding. And since a flock consists primarily of white sheep and dark brown or black goats, Laban knew that he had made Jacob's task of building a multicolored flock from sheep and goats of a single colored almost impossible, or so he thought. And it had appeared that Laban had again tricked Jacob after the wages had been agreed upon. Jacob had probably expected to use those animals in breeding his own flock. And Laban anticipated that Jacob's share would be further reduced when at the annual accounting he had to make good any losses suffered during the year out of his own flock. And if things went as he has expected, Jacob would become so indebted to Laban over the years that he would end up as one of his permanent shepherds. Well, let's continue to read and see how Jacob breeds the flocks to his advantage, beginning in verse 37. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. And he set the sticks that he had appealed in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. And whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock so that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Jacob's plan was rather risky. But from the sheep and goats that were under his control, Jacob was able to breed for himself a sturdy flock of streaked, speckled, or spotted goats and dark-colored sheep. Now, he had discovered a special breeding technique, 
of producing such offspring from single-colored animals. The text described the method he used. He took fresh-cut branches from poplar, almond, and plane trees, and he made white stripes on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood. And he set these branches in the watering trough so that the females in heat would mate in front of them. And their offspring were variegated, multicolored. This method that he used appeared to be supernatural because there is insufficient information to understand what exactly Jacob was doing. But apparently God had used Jacob's breeding to allow the recessive genes to emerge in the healthiest animals. God prospered Jacob by inducing the strongest females to bear streaked or speckled or spotted young. And God had caused Jacob's flock to grow much more rapidly and stronger than Laban's. And in contrary to what Laban had expected, Jacob grew exceedingly prosperous. The verb grow or increased um, in verse 43, it comes from the Hebrew verb parat, and it's the same term God used in his promise to Jacob at Bethel when he was saying that Jacob would spread out, that is, parats, in all directions. And we recall this in Genesis chapter 28, verse 14. So the increase of Jacob's flocks at Haran was a foretaste of the fulfillment of God's promise that Jacob would experience in the promised land. And from his increasing wealth, Jacob was able to acquire female servants, male servants, camels, and donkeys. Jacob, who had once been deceived by Laban, was now superseding his uncle by strictly adhering to the terms of their contract. Well, let's turn to the second half of the story. And this second half can be broken up into four sections. The first section, Jacob prepares to leave Laban's house. Then, Jacob's family flees. The third section, Laban confronts Jacob. And the fourth section, Laban and Jacob make a covenant. So, let's continue the second half of the story, reading the first section, as Jacob prepares to leave Laban's house, beginning in Genesis chapter 31, verse 1. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, The spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, The striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the goats were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of the Lord said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see. 
All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. God kept his promises to Jacob, and in the east Jacob flourished, and on the journey home he was protected. Genesis 31 records the return journey and the protection from Laban in a confrontation that sets a lasting boundary between Israel and Syria. Now, there are two reasons why Jacob is returning to his homeland now. First, there's animosity by Laban's sons that was growing against Jacob because his flocks were multiplying faster than Laban's. The blessing of God on Jacob had made them jealous and afraid that one day he would completely overtake them. Second, God himself tells Jacob to return to his own land and that he would be with him on the journey. This divine call for a patriarch to go to the land of Canaan parallels God's call to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. But this time, it is Jacob and his sons, the ancestors of 11 of the future tribes of Israel. So, responding to God's instruction, Jacob asked Rachel and Leah, his two wives, to join him in the fields. And it is there that he could speak freely with them about his plans without fear of being overheard. He wasn't sure whether his wives would leave their father's house because such a step was against local custom. But his wives had never lived anywhere else. And the fact that Jacob had conversed with his wives rather than telling them that they were going back to Canaan is evidence of the custom requiring that the daughters have their father's permission before leaving. So Jacob introduces this issue to his wives by recounting how their father's attitude had turned against him. By contrast, the God of his father had been with him, showing him favor. And thus, uh, Jacob was setting a choice between them. They could remain under their father, who was making life hard for Jacob, or they can go live in the land of his father Isaac, who served the God who had protected Jacob. Jacob points out how hard he had worked for their father. And yet their father Laban tries to cheat Jacob, changing his wages 10 times. And 10 is probably a round number for many times. A little bit of additional background information. Archaeologists have found that ancient contracts between an owner and a shepherd allowed contracts to be generally renegotiated annually. And at the end of each season, the owner would make an accounting of the flocks and the shepherd would receive his pay. Then for the upcoming season, a new contract would be agreed upon, usually a few weeks later. So Laban probably changed the term of Jacob's contract every year in an effort to get new terms that would increase the size of Laban's flocks while limiting the growth of Jacob's flocks. But nevertheless, God blessed Jacob and the size of Jacob's flocks continued to increase. 
Now, to convince his wives to leave their father's house, Jacob emphasized that he had survived their father's many devices only because God had not allowed Laban to harm them. God had increased his flocks at the expense of Laban's flocks. And Jacob backed up this assertion by recounting a dream he had during one mating season. And in that dream, Jacob explains that he saw male goats mating with those that were streaked, speckled, and spotted. And his implication is that God had shown him how to breed the flocks so that the numbers in his flocks would greatly increase. And it was an angel of God that assured Jacob that the great increase in his flock would be compensation for the unmerciful way that Laban was treating him. The angel identified him as the God of Bethel, where Jacob had anointed a pillar and made a vow. And that angel now is ordering Jacob to leave this land at once and go back to his native land. God's promise to bring Jacob back to Canaan was about to be fulfilled. And Jacob made it clear to his wives that in leaving their father and returning with him to Canaan, they were actually obeying God. And so Rachel and Leah agreed together to depart with Jacob. They too felt that their father had mistreated them. Both wives agreed that Laban's abuse of Jacob must have extended to them as well. And the sisters had begun to even wonder if they still had any share in the inheritance of their father's estates, for he was treating them as foreigners. Laban had probably consumed and spent their bride price, and nothing was left for either of them or their children. And so, this line of reasoning really indicates that the two wives valued Jacob's years of service to their father as their bride price, but Laban had never given them their share. And so consequently, whatever wealth God had taken from their father in letting Jacob build up his flocks while in service to their father was rightfully theirs and their children's. Well, let's continue reading in the second section where Jacob's family flee beginning in verse 17. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels, and he drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padamaram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him in the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Since his wives agreed with the plan, Jacob departed immediately, and he took all the members of his family, livestock, all the goods he had accumulated in Padamaram. And this is an opportune moment for leaving because Laban had gone to shear the sheep. Now, shearing sheep is a strenuous task, and it generally requires numerous laborers, and it took several days. Jacob knew that it would be some time before his departure would be detected. And in addition, by leaving at the end of the annual contract, he was not under any legal obligation to Laban. 
Now, interesting, Rachel took additional advantage of her father's absence by stealing the household gods. And these are small household statues. These household gods were images that represented deceased ancestors, and they were generally venerated and worshipped. These gods were thought to bring good fortune, fertility, as well as protection during a journey. The one in possession of the family gods was usually the leader in the family and received a larger share in the inheritance, likely a firstborn son. And But it is doubtful that these last two factors really motivated Rachel. She might have taken them as partial compensation for the losses she had suffered at the hands of her father Laban, or she may have wanted to just have some tangible bond with her family as well as protection that these gods might give her on the journey. Well, at any case, this detail is emphasized in the narrative, and it sets the stage for the final climactic confrontation between Laban and Jacob. Now, the text also comments that Jacob's sudden departure by using the terms that he deceived Laban by not telling him he was running away. And the Hebrew verb that is translated trick or deceive in verse 20 literally means steal the heart or stole the heart. And it really captures how grievously Jacob broke ancient custom in leaving his father-in-law's home in such a secretive manner. This double offense had been committed against Laban. The first offense is that Rachel had stolen his gods. And the second offense is that Jacob had stolen his heart by taking his daughters. Well, three days later, Laban is informed that Jacob had fled. And I think it's really the theft of the idols that was the primary reason why Laban and his men chased after Jacob. I mean, it's one thing for Jacob to take Laban's family and flock, and Laban probably still believed they were rightfully all his, but it's another matter entirely to take his household gods. So immediately he gathers his relatives and pursues Jacob. And after seven days, maybe a symbolic number, Uh, for several days, uh, Laban catches up with Jacob in the hill country of Gilead. Now, the hill country of Gilead is probably about 400 miles away from Haran. But the night before Laban overtakes Jacob, God warns Laban in a dream, and he restricts Laban from any type of hostile action that he might be planning. Well, burning with anger, Laban was intent on pressing very heavy charges against Jacob. But God continued to protect Jacob, the heir of the promise to Abraham, from Laban's aggressions. Well, let's continue to the third section of this story as Laban confronts Jacob, beginning in verse 25. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now, Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done, that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with myrrh and songs, with tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly, and it is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. 
and now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. And Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, that they may decide between us two. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By day the heat consumed me and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. So here we see Laban and Jacob meeting face to face. And although neither trusted each other, each knew that he had benefited from their relationship. Laban begins with a hard charge, accusing Jacob of having deceived him by carrying off his daughters like captives in war, and speaking as a heartbroken father in order to win the sympathy of the relatives who are looking on, he complained that Jacob's inconsiderate, deceptive action had deprived him of giving a great joyful feast for sending off his grandchildren and daughters. He charged Jacob for having done a foolish thing, a harsh indictment in that culture. To add force to his accusation, Laban asserted that he had the power to harm Jacob for such disregard of family customs. But nevertheless, he admitted that the night before he had been restrained in anger by a warning from the God of Jacob's father, telling him neither to harm nor to bless Jacob. God had more authority than Laban in this family matter. And Jacob learned from this revelation that Laban's hostile intent had been tempered and that God was protecting him. Since God had restricted him from dealing with Jacob for leaving his household, Laban accuses Jacob for stealing his gods. Now, the limitations God had put on Laban did not preclude him exacting compensation for an outright theft by someone in Jacob's family. Laban was therefore determined to cause Jacob trouble and recover his gods. This fervor of Laban's desire of getting his God's back, stands in stark contrast to his poor treatment of his daughters. 
I mean, these gods had to do with the identity and the power of the family. But in valuing the symbol of the family more than the members of the family, Laban really lost a relationship with his daughters and their children. So Jacob answers Laban's charges. Now, to the charges of having stolen Laban's heart, he admitted that his hasty departure truly violated family custom. But nevertheless, Jacob explained that he had taken this course more out of fear that Laban would take away his wives away from him by force if he had asked permission for all of them to leave for Canaan. And in Jacob's mind, Laban's pattern of behavior had preempted the basis of his claim that he would have given them a joyful send-off. Next, in responding to the charges of having stolen his gods, Jacob swore an oath of death against anyone who had been found to be in possession of these gods. And in this way, he asserted his innocence. His oath indicated that he too viewed that this type of theft would be a punishable crime. But knowing that he had taken nothing, Jacob gave Laban permission to search all of his property and to take anything he found that belonged to him. Now, the Bible adds an editorial comment to heighten the suspense, because the Bible says that Jacob did not know that Rachel, in fact, had stolen the gods. And so Jacob unwittingly had put Jake, uh, Rachel in under a death sentence. So Laban searches methodically, going from Jacob's tent, then to Leah's, then to the tent of the two maidservants, and he had found nothing. And so the pivotal moment came when he enters Rachel's tent. Only now does we, do we learn that Rachel had hidden the household gods in her camel's saddle and was sitting on them. And after Laban had gone through everything in her tent without finding anything, Rachel politely informs him that she was not able to stand up in his presence because it was the time of her period. Now, ancient Israelites would have understood the scorning of these idols, since everything that came in contact with a woman during her period became unclean or polluted. And this is taught in Leviticus chapter 15, verses 19 to 23. So, gaining confidence that Laban was not going to find anything, Jacob begins to vent his anger by pressing his legal advantage. And so, he asked Laban what was his crime and what was his sin, what was his offense, that Laban would hunt him down. And so, aware that Laban's search uh, proved empty, Jacob challenges Laban to place whatever he had found in public view so that all the relatives can serve as jurors and render a legal decision about the validity of Jacob's uh, of Laban's accusations. Seeing Laban's frustration, Jacob delivers a final defense to exonerate himself from having violated family custom in leaving Laban's house without his permission. And in this defense, he recounted Laban's hard demands on his old faithful integrity and service to his father-in-law. Jacob reminds everyone that for 20 years he had shepherded Laban's flock so skillfully that they had not miscarried. Jacob didn't take any rams from Laban's flocks for food. When any member of the flocks were torn by wild beasts, Jacob bore the loss and gave compensation, which even when standard practice, um, it was not required of a shepherd to account for these types of losses when they were beyond his control. In fact, typically, when members of a flock were torn by wild animals, the shepherd would just present the remnants as proof of the nature of the loss, clearing himself of any responsibility. 
Furthermore, a shepherd was accountable for the theft of members of the flock during the day, but not at night, based on the principle that what takes place at night was beyond his control. But Laban demanded payment for every lost sheep, regardless if the theft took place during the day or night, and Jacob did in fact pay that payment. Jacob added that he had taken care of Laban's flocks during the burning heat of the day and the biting cold at night, spending many sleepless nights under harsh conditions, all for Laban's benefit. This was how he had worked for 14 years for the privilege of marrying his two daughters and six years for building up his own flock. During these years, Laban had changed his wages many times, and if Laban had his way, he would have allowed Jacob to leave his household without anything. But Jacob again reiterates that it was his God, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac, that was protecting Jacob. And he reminded Laban that it's this God that had come to him by night and made him fearful by rebuking him for Jacob's sake. And so Jacob concludes his defense powerfully with the exertion that God was on his side. Well, let's read the final section where Laban and Jacob make a covenant, beginning in verse 43. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have borne? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I. And let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jegar Shagajutha, but Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore he named it Galid and Mitzpah. For he said, The Lord watched between you and me when we were out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters or you take wives beside my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me? This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me, to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed him. Then Laban departed and returned home. So we see here that Laban begins by falsely asserting that all you see is mine. Now, despite this claim, we know that Laban had lost legally. He could not prove that Jacob had stolen his gods and Jacob had given a good defense for departing so secretly from his house. Laban responded by proposing that their grievances be settled by making a covenant. And by agreeing to enter into covenant with Jacob, Laban pretty much admitted defeat. It was Laban who pushed for this treaty to settle the dispute. 
Jacob had no need for this treaty, for God had provided for him and delivered him. But I think Laban felt vulnerable and wanted to secure his borders. And so Laban sought to establish a defined border between his clan and Jacob's and to set certain conditions for the protection of his daughters. Laban had begun to fear Jacob, perhaps on account of Jacob's increasing wealth and power, and maybe even thinking of the possibility that someone from Jacob's family would return to Haran to make a claim against Laban's household, as the use of the term harm suggests in verse 52. This pact ends the contact between Abraham's offspring and his father's house in Haran. We will never see another person from Abraham's seed travel to that area to take a wife. The report of this covenant between Laban and Jacob is a bit difficult to unravel because it is hard to sort out some of these duplicate details. Two witnesses, two place names, two names for God, two meals, two purposes, uh, a guarantee of Jacob's protecting the status of Laban's daughters in his house, boundary marker, the twofold nature of the account, I think, though, is to define Jacob's complete separation from Laban and to acknowledge that from this point forward, he was a patriarch on the same level as Laban. So this covenant thus provides a family agreement and a boundary agreement. Jacob expressed his agreement by taking a stone and setting it up as a pillar, as was his custom. Remember, he did something similarly uh, in Bethel in chapter 28. He also had his relatives gather some stones, and the relatives' involvement indicated that this covenant was really between the family, the clans, represented by Laban and Jacob. Now, eating together beside a heap, the parties solidified this covenant, and each party named the pile of stones a witness heap in their own language. Jagar uh, Shagatutha is Aramaic, and Galid is Hebrew. So, Laban has explained that the stones were to serve as a witness between them, and when they were apart, God was to keep watch between them. And it was given a third name, the Mitzbah, which means the watchtower. Laban added the obligation that Jacob was never to mistreat his two daughters or to take any other wives under the threat that God was constantly a witness against him. Such a prohibition was found frequently in marriage contracts in the ancient Near East. Laban makes one additional statement about the purpose of the stones, and they were to be both a witness of this covenant and a boundary marker. Neither party was to go past him in order to harm the other party. And Laban confirmed the purpose of these stones with an oath in the name of the God of Terah's two sons, that is, the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor. His recognition of more than one God does give evidence of Laban's polytheistic orientation. Now, in contrast with Laban, Jacob takes his own oath in the name of the fear of his father Isaac. Now, this is the only reference in in Genesis to God as holy being experienced as fear or dread. Jacob swore by this name in recognition that the God of his father had appeared to Laban the night before Laban had had met up with him, putting fear in Laban's heart so that Laban would not harm him. Jacob knew that his only assurance that Laban would keep the terms of this covenant was Laban's dread and fear of this powerful God. 
Well, finally, Jacob makes an offering. He offers a sacrifice in the hill country to provide his relatives a festive meal, celebrating the solidarity of his family, now fully and officially on its own. And all parties spent the night in that place. And finally, early the next morning, Laban arose, bids farewell to his grandchildren and his daughters, kissing them and pronouncing a blessing on them. And I think I noted earlier that in contrast to greeting Jacob with a kiss, when Jacob had first arrived in Haran in Genesis chapter 29, verse 13, Laban departs without a kiss or any type of display of affection toward Jacob as he leaves. Remember what God had promised to Jacob back in Genesis 28. Well, God had fulfilled his promise. Jacob had left for Haran empty-handed, no possessions for, for paying a bride price for a wife, and yet he leaves Haran with great wealth, many servants, 12 children. But we'll have to wait till our next study in Genesis 32 when we see another encounter that Jacob has with God. So stay tuned.